I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media and the host of Green Rush Live, our regularly scheduled business of cannabis talk show here on Friday afternoons. And joining us is my pal from Washington State. Uh, his name is Josh Kincaid. He also hosts the Talking Hedge podcast out there in Washington State. He's also a valued member of our We Talk News team that uh, will be following this really live show at six o'clock. We will be running our weekly new show anchored by Elena Pinto. And if you guys haven't seen our weekly news show, I, as someone who's grown up in newsrooms for 30 years, I'm amazed at how really cool we, what the job that we're doing now and the contributions we're getting from all of our correspondents all over the country and internationally as well. Uh, it's worth watching and it gives you a real good feel for the temperature of the end of prohibition from coast to coast in the United States of America. But we want to welcome in our guest uh, this particular period of time on our show. One is an old friend of mine, someone who's a regular on this show, Jeff Finkel, the CEO of ArcView. Hello, Jeffrey. You got to unmute yourself. I know you're in a call. Yeah, I'm in a cab, so I was trying to spare everybody the background noise. Good to see you, and, and thank you for having me again. No, and also we've been doing, uh, I think, yeoman's work on previewing your big event in New York City this week um, with both people that have had uh, successful runs, pitches with ArcView, and even had it a successful exit. And of course, uh, some of the speakers that'll be uh, in New York City this week uh, coming up for that conference as well. So it's been, I think, a pretty good preview show. Uh, David Hess is also with us, and I believe you uh, know David. Am I right? I do. David Moses is one of my favorite people in this industry and uh, glad to be uh, sharing the mic with him today. Yeah. And, and David, you're, you're quite the story as a career entrepreneur, but also one of the things that always flips me out when I read people's bios is you're a two-time cancer survivor. Am I right? Absolutely, Jimmy. Yeah. And, and cannabis uh, had played a tremendous role in, in my recovery and still does today. And I can't tell you, I've been doing over 300 interviews in the last few years here. How many times all of us in this business have heard these kinds of stories that cannabis has saved my life, cannabis has changed my life, and those that still get into the business because of that experience. So is that the motivating factor for you? It's, it's what drives me, but uh, as we'll probably discover through, through the interview, uh, I'm originally from Southern California, where we legalized back in 1996. Uh, so for, for myself and my family, we actually started getting into the business of cannabis uh, fairly early. Uh, but what drives my passion um, at, a, at a much deeper level is certainly the impact that cannabis had on me as a patient and uh, my personal you know, anecdotes that I've been speaking with other patients that have survived over the years uh, with the help of cannabis as well, getting them through chemo and then beyond. Yeah, fantastic, and uh, a lot of respect. Uh, you're running Trust Capital now, accurate? Accurate, yes. And uh, how is the investment community right now uh, for the cannabis space? Because we've had we've had differing, uh, not opinions, but observations about what's going on in, in the world of uh, capital investment in cannabis. Well, you picked a good week to have me on because it's a positive week, right? We've got all this optimism post uh, our president's uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, remarks about uh, cannabis prisoners. And certainly it's only a first step, 
right? And uh, hopefully we're going to see a lot more with regards to, uh, you know, at the state level, uh, where we actually have most uh, of the prisoners, right, uh, cannabis prisoners today, uh, but also in rescheduling or possibly descheduling of cannabis at a federal level, which is very exciting because that also has ramifications uh, with banks and, and all kinds of other things. So um, I, that's very exciting. And as far as investment goes, well, first of all, that that raised the market about 30, 40% on, on Biden's news. So we're all very excited about that. Uh, but but obviously for the long run, um, we're, we're undeterred uh, by these ups and downs. Uh, it happens with all startups, as I'm sure Jeff will can tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, our industry is sort of a startup, even though we've been here for a long time. These are just the bumps and bruises and growing pains of an industry. But we're, we're very optimistic and very bullish uh, long term, for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and alongside is a buddy of yours. Uh, Eugenio Garcia, did I do it right? That's right, Jimmy. Thank goodness. Uh, the co-founder and publisher of Cannabis Now Media. By the way, I subscribe to your newsletters. I follow, I like, I share and all that neat stuff. Um, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I had no idea we'd have a media person on uh, with us today, but we, you are always welcome because as you know, um, media takes a lot, of, a lot of abuse these days. Don't dump, dump media companies. It depends which media company. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Tell us about how you got into this and, and how is it going with Cannabis Now Media? Uh, thank you, Jimmy. I got into cannabis back in 1995 when I was in eighth grade uh, and uh, enjoyed cannabis all through high school in moderation and through college and became a political science uh, graduate um, after, in university. And Montana, which is where I grew up, I was born in Los Angeles, but grew up in Montana. Montana legalized for medical purposes in 2004. I think we were the seventh or eighth state for medical. And um, my brother-in-law's little brother, who was, uh, my, who was my, uh, one of my best friends growing up, he started uh, to be a provider here in Montana, is what they called them. And um, one day we came up with the idea to start a medical journal uh, for cannabis enthusiasts. And that snowballed into a national magazine that's consumer focused and for the enlightened cannabis uh, consumer. And it's been a wild ride the last 12 years. Enlightenment is another word of educating the public, uh, those that are not familiar with the uh, product, if you will, as much as many people are in this industry. Um, and it, I've always found that this is exactly one of the reasons why I started this company was to give a voice to the industry so that they could come onto a media environment and not be attacked by, because it's one of the things I saw when I watched one of the first interviews, probably five, six years ago on CNBC, and a reporter showed up and started grilling this CEO unnamed company uh, about, you know, the gateway theory and what about the kids and all the myths that have been out there for years and years that have pretty much been debunked by a lot of uh, research and study. And even in, in more mature states like Josh's Washington or, or in Colorado, we've actually seen teen use go down uh, as soon as it becomes legal and not something that the, the kids have to sneak, if you will, they're learning by listening and watching their parents learn and use 
this product in a positive, responsible manner. So uh, to me, uh, it was one of those things I looked at and I said, I know I could do a better interview than that person and said, I'm just going to start doing these podcasts. I was encouraged. And, and you know, here we are, you know, something like that. In two years, we've got about 10,600 subscribers on YouTube, and we've had well over 670,000 views of our videos. So I think we've done pretty well in an organic place right now. Um, obviously, we're looking to grow this and connect both coasts. And being a news guy, this is something that I uh, am pretty passionate about. So it's really a pleasure uh, to talk to a fellow media baron, if you will. Have you ever been called a media baron before? <laughs> I've never been called a baron. I've been, I've been called a mogul incorrectly, but I will say, Jimmy, what's interesting about this group is uh, not only is Cannabis now a portfolio company of Tress Capital, and um, David and I have been in the trenches for a number of years now in the cannabis space, but actually the Arcview group was the first platform that as an entrepreneur, I, I, was, I pitched to for capital. I, I believe it was 2000, it must've been like 2000 and. 15 or something like that 16 maybe and the very first time as an entrepreneur that i ever pitched asking for capital was through an arcview group zoom or it was a skype back then uh and the first time i ever pitched in person was at an arcview las vegas event uh, at a pitch competition so arcview was my first introduction into raising capital as an entrepreneur and fast forward now to 2022 not only are we a media company but we're also a agency and consulting company. So given the amount of time we've been in the, in, in the game, now our clients are coming to us not only for marketing, but also for solutions. And in the last year, a lot of the need has been, hey, help me raise capital, help me, help me be connected with people who are investing in cannabis. So I, I love the opportunity to engage in this conversation from that perspective. Do you have any best practices on like how you got capital for anybody else listening and, and wanting to do the same thing? How, how, best practices? How yeah, much, any advice. How much, do, how much time do we have, Josh? <laughs> a, a few minutes? We got a, quite a few. Go ahead. I mean, look, high, high level from an entrepreneur's desk, I would say that there is a certain amount of luck and uh, just what I call magic that happens that you cannot discount. Like, I, I went to a, the, where I met Tress Capital. I had spent 48 hours at a New York City event, Cannabis World Congress and Expo, I believe it was. And I had spent, like, I had my checklist and every single booth and all my meetings. And for 48 hours, I was running around crazy trying to meet the right people and do all this aggressive stuff. And none of it worked out. And I saw David and his, and his partner, Asher, standing at the bottom of the escalator. I, had, I was walking out. I was about to fly out. I might, might have had my last magazine in my hand. And I saw his t-shirt, Tress Capital. I said, you get my last magazine. Let's connect. I got to catch my flight. And they were my first investors. So that, that's a little bit of luck. But to, to be more straightforward with your question, um, preparing for raising capital is the most important thing. Having your, your financial plan, having your books in order, be, being very, very clear on your mission, what your product is. Um, and all that's very challenging, especially early, early days. You have no money, you have no vision. All you know is, is you got a dream. And so um, I think that like that, that might be like step two and three. Step one might actually be know who you want to be in business with. Because who you take money from, it's like a marriage. And you're going to be with these guys and, and ladies maybe for five, 10, 20 years. And you, 
your vet, they're vetting you is normally how entrepreneurs see it. Like they're doing diligence on you, but it really should be a relationship and only take money from the right people who have the right values, the right mission, who can support you more than just writing a check. I think that'd be my number one advice to any entrepreneurs out there. I'm going to take that to heart because that's exactly how I feel about who I'd like to work with, because I know I'm very self-aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. And Jeff Finkel knows them very well, in fact. Uh, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about some of these other success stories? Because now this is the second person that we've had on, and this was not planned, who spoke about the same thing. They pitched an arc, at an ArcView event. That helped them get their funding. And here they are, either have exited or in the middle of an exit, or, or they're flourishing. Uh, have you ever thought, Jeff, about actually putting together a show or even testimonials of all these people that are out there that ArcView has helped? You know, boy, there are a lot out there. Um, here's, here's this statistic that we use. Over a 10-year period, so ArcView's founded in 2010, I think we've done, we're trying to actually come up with the actual number. We've done between 40 and 50 investor conferences. And... Over that period of time, some 350 million has found its way to over 250 companies initiated ARCV events. Now today in a world where there are lots of uh, um, debt capital around for the large public MSOs, that may not sound like a very big number. I mean, some, some large debt deals that the, that the public MSOs are raising are over you know, 75, $100 million. But during that period of time, I would say that that was the majority of the equity financing that landed into the hands of operators in the industry. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, I wasn't an ARC viewer in those early years. I really engaged late 2018, um, started the venture practice with them in the beginning of 20 and became CEO last year. So I don't have that lineage and history to go through each success story, but the impact that ARC has had as being really a company that facilitated economic growth and capital reaching entrepreneurs in the industry is, is fairly significant. Yeah. What's the most important thing, Jeff? I, mean, I remember asking you this question a few years ago and you said the team, the people that you bring to the table to work <laughs> with you. Is that still accurate? You know, I, I sometimes are on, on the other side of this argument. Um, Team is important. Um, I think I think in cannabis, team is very important. But if I look across my history of investing in tech, um, timing is a little bit more important. Right? So what you know, what's the analogy? Remember Friendster? Uh, remember MySpace? Mm -hmm. Right? Those were early platforms for social media. But why was it that Facebook took off? Right? Why was it that Facebook wasn't really like pushing the boulder up a hill? You know, it started as, you know, Mark Zuckerberg at Harvard wanted to find a place to, you know, a way in which to catalog good looking women, right? And now every 40, 50 year old lives their life publicly on Facebook. So yeah. timing has a lot to do with it. And I would argue more to do with it than team. Now that doesn't underscore the importance of team. And timing is a little bit less amorphous as we think about cannabis because states put out RFPs and then you respond to the RFPs and you raise money. And that's sort of, the timing is sort of organized for you. But in tech, um, or I would say even in the ancillary side of cannabis, 
timing might be more important than team, but team is extremely important. Well, we've already heard a great example about timing. Uh, David, as you look at opportunities that are out there, what, what is the one thing you look for, or is there a multiple of things that you look for? Uh, certainly a multiple and, and timing is, is what, you know, what Jeff said, and, and certainly there's luck as Eugenio had mentioned, uh, for us, our common denominator is impact. Uh, we want to be, and, and it's a wide range when I say impact, but it's, it's still, as I mentioned, early days of cannabis and, and, uh, you know, we, if we're going to be allocating all this capital, uh, especially on the private side. Uh, we wanted to ensure that we're supporting what we feel are the legs of the industry, right? And, and Eugenio was modest, but, um, you know, in, in driving this new normalization of cannabis, it is critical that one be able to walk through JFK and walk into Hudson News and right there next to People Magazine or, or any other magazine is Cannabis Now. Right. And, and the fact that you can do that, I, you know, I can't understate that enough. What an impact that has on our industry, what an impact that has, you know, globally for cannabis. Um, you know, it's not hush hush anymore. Like you see still some of the other magazines that they have have these covers over it. That's not what cannabis is. And it's not next to guns and ammo. It's right there in the open. And so um, that says a lot. And so impact uh, is certainly uh, you know, whether it's making sure that if you're cultivating cannabis, you're, you're doing so using uh, data and, 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 and just really maximizing your efficiency um, or uh, lab testing or media, right? It's, it's the legs of the industry and being impactful uh, up and down is, is where we, you know, that's that first box that has to be checked for us. Yeah. Where are you seeing the deal flow right now, Dave? Is it based on either like location or sector or like, where's it at? Definitely location is, is big and we're, we're seeing a lot on the East Coast right now. I think that's where, where uh, a lot of, you know, it's time to shine right now. Um, certainly in New York and New Jersey, uh, we're seeing a ton of, uh, of deal flow. Um, we're seeing a lot of international deal flow as well. Uh, in fact, there's, there's uh, also a, a cannabis conference coming up in Mexico right now. Latin America is becoming big. Um, I just came back from Israel. Uh, there it's, uh, they've been doing research on, on, on the pharma side. And it was certainly a lot coming out of, of, of Israel. Uh, and, and, you know, when you have these EU GMP facilities, whether it be in Israel, Malta, or some other places, that becomes a launching pad into Europe. Uh, for a lot of these brands here uh, in the States. And so what we're seeing is a lot of consolidation. We're seeing a lot of groups working together um, on, uh, on really maximizing efficiency and maximizing their, their dollars, their capital. Because, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there's a certain amount that goes around. Um, not everybody is going to get funded regardless of the jockey. Um, and that goes back to timing and, and certainly luck. Um, but, but there, there's money that is definitely being funded right now into deal flow. Absolutely. Is it, is it the ancillary uh, related companies that uh, investors are looking at even more seriously than the plant touching ones? Or it used to be more that way, right? You know, now that we're especially here, President Biden, even just talking freely about cannabis and, and, 
anytime I get my newsfeed, I mean, I'm in the industry, so a lot of my newsfeed happens to be cannabis, but you see, you know, your New York Times, Forbes, just writing about cannabis weekly at this point, um, and it's, you know, become normal. So now it, it used to be you were either plant touching or you weren't, right? And that was like the first question, you, you know, we would receive uh, as investors, what well, do you touch the plant? And nowadays it's you know I, I don't hear that as much especially from investors oh no, no we don't want to touch the plant now especially in places like new york that's the first thing that they run to and you know not to say that there aren't ancillary opportunities there there certainly are we're looking at a few now and we're looking at them very seriously um you know you've had quite a few years you know where some of the uh some of those businesses they exist, right? And it doesn't mean that there there aren't going to be competitors. Um, but a lot of those ancillary companies have had a decade, right, to to get off the ground. So um, you really are seeing a lot of of uh, plant touching opportunities. Uh, so if you're not interested in touching the plant just yet, you know it, it, you're going to not see. You know, you'll, you'll you'll be limited in the deal flow you're looking at. Um, certainly, but um, there, there's plenty not to look at from both sides, but certainly it's weighted uh, on licensed opportunities for sure. You know, there's a lot of licenses being sold out there right now. Uh, a lot of people get in, they get their license, and then they realize they don't have the capital to move forward and they have to find capital. And sometimes they're being taken advantage of in many ways. Um, are we still seeing that happening in some of the uh, states like uh, Oklahoma, even in Massachusetts, I've heard some stories. Oh yeah, and, and I was speaking with someone today also, you're also competing with the illicit market, right? And so <laughs> you've got this very interesting dynamic. You've got, let's take a place like Nevada, for example, where, you know, or California, where you've got tremendous amount of, of dispensaries and licensed cultivation, but you also have you know numbers like 70, 80 percent of cannabis still being purchased on the illicit market. So what some of the bigger you know multi-state operators or bigger operators in general that are able to do it is they're they're bringing their prices down to rock bottom where we're talking it used to be three to four hundred dollars for an ounce of, of cannabis at a dispensary. Nevada, there's billboards everywhere advertising $30 ounces, right? And so if you're able to, to bring that down to $30, you're knocking out majority of your competition when it's when it's 500, you know, at the very least, you know, to, to $1,200 to produce a pound of cannabis. And, and you know, 16, 16 ounces in a pound, you do the math, you're, you're, you're losing money at $30 an ounce, right? But these bigger companies, they recognize that's their way to drive out the illicit market. And they're they're smaller competitors, so we're we're seeing a lot of that. And you're absolutely right. If you're going to compete, um, I think as a brand, you have to come with a built-in community, uh, like you know, can, and and that's also why media is is critical uh, to, for a brand to build itself. It's not good enough to come out with you know amazing product, right? And what that means in the cannabis world potentially is a new exotic strain or a strain that works particular to, to some effect uh, or, or has, you know, great, you know, shelf appeal. Um, that's not going to cut it anymore. Um, and it, just because you've got a cool looking brand, if you're in New York, that certainly doesn't work because they've got limits on what your brand can, can even look like. And it's going to certainly in the beginning look more like 
the Canadian uh, packaging and be very sterile. So it's the community um, that you have to be bringing with you as a brand um, that's really going to be purchasing from your brand, regardless of the strain you put forward, because they trust you. And you know, without groups like you know Cannabis Now and yourselves putting that forward, you don't you don't have that as a brand because you can't use traditional media, and and, and not everybody gets to be on Jimmy Kimmel at night advertising, you know, their edibles because they're Mike Tyson, right? So, you know, you really need to build a brand with your community in the space through loyalty and through other things that really touch the consumer. And that can only be done, you know, with, with groups like yourselves and other media channels in the space. Uh, so that, you know, those opportunities to get behind, you know, those ancillary businesses are there and, and, and are still critical. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to get Eugenio's, uh, Eugenio, did I say that right? It's really, yes, Eugenio? Yeah, I want to get your feeling about what uh, David just talked about with the advertising thing, because I did happen to see um, our Vermont News this week. Vermont, as you know, just opened up their adult use market, and the marketing and advertising restrictions in that market are extremely difficult to deal with. And as someone who's been in this space now for, gosh, you said 2015, 70 years, how are you doing as far as that goes? And are people still seeking you out to share uh, the um, marketing dollars that they have? Eugenio? Unmute. Thank you. Unmute. Um, Jimmy, just a little love for the uh, PCM community. We, we have uh, almost 4 million social media followers through our combined platforms. And um, I did just post this podcast on our Facebook page. So hopefully uh, you get a little, a few more viewers. from. Thank you. Appreciate that. We don't put a lot of money or even thought in pushing things out onto Facebook. We do have an Instagram page. We do have a Twitter page, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of social media. I'm old school. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm a middle school. So I, uh, I threw it up there for you and uh, hopefully some more people are from Cannabis Now community is watching. Appreciate now. it. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I think there's two main categories right now that I believe are going to be the future of cannabis. One is the consumer brand, um, you know, for lack of a better word, recreational or therapeutic market. Uh, and then the pharmaceutical market is, is the other half of it, which is so virgin and so new. I almost can't even speak to it beyond just a gut feeling that I think cannabinoids will have major medical impact uh, 20, 30, 10 years to come. And that was going to be a whole different game. You know, God willing, instead of seeing 80% of CNN's uh, advertising and commercials be opioid-based pharmaceuticals, it will be 30 to 40% uh, cannabinoid-based pharmaceuticals because that's maybe the future of pharmaceuticals. But I won't speak to that in this moment just because beyond a gut feeling, I, I, I don't have the evidence yet. Yeah. But as far as, um, as far as brands go, for a long time, I said, look, we can't look at this like the alcohol industry um, because alcohol is so damaging and kind of like cigarettes and alcohol, you know, it, it, it can kill you if you if you overindulge in it or indulge at all in it like cigarettes. Um, but with cannabis, it, it very much is um, a branding game. And people who are spending money, they're spending money specifically if they understand what their brand is and what they're trying to communicate to the market. And wh what I've seen an explosion in coming out of COVID has been um, experiential marketing to 
mainstream consumers. And what that means is a lot of in-person events like, um, in, in, like um, micro events or festivals or mm-hmm. events for the end consumer or mm-hmm. embedding cannabis into mainstream events, whether it's Bottle Rock concert in Napa or, or other, uh, the, the, I believe the, the California State Fair had a huge cannabis activation, Coachella. That's where I've seen a lot of money being spent in the last 12 months, as opposed to traditional endemic cannabis spending. Right. Hey, I just was at a three-day event in, in Massachusetts that, had, that featured the whalers. And I'm not talking about the Hartford whalers. I'm talking about, it was, used to be Bob Marley and, but these are the whalers. And they played pretty much my entire playlist in their concert. Um, I, do, I do see a very good friend and someone we have a lot of respect for and has a show on our, our live stream. Dr. Mary Clifton has joined us in the Zoom room. And I want to get to Dr. Mary, and, but I'm going to tease this. We're going to take a break here. And, and when we come back, I want to get everybody's feeling about the next wave of plant medicine. And are we uh, kind of uh, getting away from focusing on cannabis and morphing over to the psilocybin world? And we'll talk about that coming back with more of Green Rush Live after this. Don't go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.